Hello, Mitz here. Yes, I finally did away with Ben to make use of all the body disposal tips from you guys over the years. Such a joker. Birthday Boy will be back next by week. Now I need to introduce part one of the interview with one of the best indie true crime podcasters, fabulous Paige Elmore, who YDLMF caught up with from Mississippi earlier. Oh, and uh, keep your eyes peeled for our upcoming live podtacular. We'll be announcing a date shortly over the next bi-week. Now on to part one of interview with Paige from Reverie True Crime Podcast. Paige, I first heard of you as Reverie True Crime. And I'd like you to say it because it'll it'll make me think that I'm listening at bedtime. Reverie True Crime. See, I can't can't get the spin (laughs) on it. Somebody that I've been listening to for a while now, actually since I took my true crime journey, which has been a couple of years now. Yeah. So there's been a lot of content. When we met, like I was listening to you guys religiously and then it got so overwhelming with research and writing and everything that I haven't been able to really listen to people that I love in so long. It's just very time consuming. It is. And that's something I was going to ask you about because you've really grown as a podcaster. How does that feel? It feels really good, but at the same time, I think you always strive to do better and better because when I first started, I was literally writing down from Wikipedia and doing this as a hobby and talking into my phone, had no idea what I was doing. And so to meet other podcasters and get their advice and what I needed and certain sites to go to to get better information and all this stuff it just I feel like it progressively kind of got better but I also strive to be like you and Ben I mean y'all are professionals to me like y'all are y'all are up there don't don't do that (laughs) no y'all are Mm, well (laughs) that's debatable but is, is true crime like podcasting, is it professional? I mean, I'm not saying that as in equating your success with something which is any different, but right. I think it's a very interesting beast. Yes, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like, is it professional? Yeah, I totally get it. You know, there's the there's the hardest thing because you have the Joe Rogans, you have the celebrities, you have people that are backed by corporations and big money and you have those podcasts that are just in the limelight all the time and they make a living they can live off of that and then you've got indie podcasters that are doing everything from research writing recording editing producing and working social media as much as we can and trying to find new ways to market and get out there and it is so much harder for us and I think with your background and what you and Ben do because you guys have 
a background of journalism and and things like that. And I don't have that. I have absolutely no background in anything. I'm just a true crime enthusiast, so well, to speak. you do, because so. what comes across massively with you is that you have an ingredient which is different. And that is, in my opinion, it's a drive, but also there seems to be something. So it's kind of leading me onto one of the things that I've actually prepared for a change. That <laughs> you are interested in kind of humanity and people. And I don't know if that's a leading question in asking you what it is that is making you go towards true crime. Okay, so there's a few things. Now, I did grow up in a house where my parents watched emergency 911 or some show about 911 calls and cops and America's Most Wanted and uh, Dateline 2020, all of those shows. And I was super just interested in that. But then also there's another aspect of my life that I think this is the first time I've ever talked about it actually. So my mom's brother He's passed away now. He passed away from cancer um, a few years ago. But growing up, he was, and we didn't know this until years and years later, but growing up, he was molested as a Boy Scout. Uh, one of the people in the Boy Scouts molested him, and he turned to alcohol. And then it turned into harder drugs, and he was in and out of prison all of the time. And he would write me letters, and it would be a whole lot of Bible verses and how I'm going to change when I get out. And then it was always the same repeated behavior. So I started thinking about that and how, you know, people just constantly end up back in the system because they kind of don't know how to live in the real world and it's kind of like their lifestyle and all they know um so it was just very interesting to me on that level and I love my uncle to to the moon and back but he just always put himself around just not a good group of people he was um homeless and you know, it was hard because nobody really wanted him to live with them because he was so aggressive and volatile, especially when he drank. And um, he was homeless for a long time. He would sleep under bridges. And he was walking one day and he had a backpack with only his clothes in it. But I guess some other guys thought that he had maybe some money or something on him. And they stabbed him through his lung with a screwdriver. And so it's like all of these things have just made me through the years want to know so much about how people think and how they operate it's just so fascinating to me um on so many levels it's just it's insane <laughs> so you were close to him yeah I was really close to him and you know I would get those letters when I was from 10 to like 16 years old and these letters would sound so promising and he was going to the little chapels that they have in the prisons and 
you know, he was doing all of this uh, religious talk when he would write to me and he, he promised me every time, you know, I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit, um, getting in trouble with the law and I'm going to change my life and turn my life around when I get out of here. And that just never was the case. I think he truly wanted it, wanted it in his heart. But when you get out of there and get in the real world, I think he just fell back into old habits and getting around the same crowds of people. Um, he was also a narc for the police. And when he would go to prison, those people that he had put there had, you know, gotten the word that he was the one that put him in there. So he was always being beat up and ganged up on in prison. And um, there is this prison in Mississippi called Parchment. And it's the most notorious prison that we have in the state. And he was always there. And it's many, many hours away. So we really didn't get to visit him very often at all. So he was very much alone, but his mother, my grandmother, would sort of enable him because he was her baby boy. And, um, you know, he would ask her for money and she would give him the last penny she had just because she felt like that's how she was showing her love mm. and not realizing you're enabling him mm. to go buy alcohol, drugs, whatever he's spending the money on. And he's, you know, saying, I'm going to get food with this money. But it, you know, just never was that. So it's a really interesting and comparable story in many ways to some of the cases that you've covered. For sure. For sure. You know, and that's what makes me interested in just the psychology behind it all, really, because it's unbelievable how, you know, everybody's mind is different. And also my uncle had schizophrenia, so we had that to deal with on top of everything. And it was just, it was a really hard time, but he was so lovable, which was such a tug of war for us because when he had one or two beers. He was fine. And you could talk to him about anything. And he seemed like one of the wisest people and just so loving and kind. And he really would give you the shirt off his back. But then it was like he would turn into this completely different person who was stealing and driving drunk. And, you know, I really don't know the extent to all the things that he has experienced, but... One day he told us, and I still don't know to this day if it's true or if he just thinks it's true, but he told us something that just completely blew my mind. He said that one of his, when he was narking on people and, and ratting people out, he led the police to where a body had been buried. Now, this is what he says or said, but, you know, 
sometimes you don't know what's real from what's not. With his schizophrenia and other mental health problems, you know, you never know if that's a real thing or not. But it just, if it's true, it kind of scared me. And, you know, it's like, how did you know that? Did you have a part in that? Like, what? I don't know the history behind it. So, there's just so many things that got me interested into true crime. If it leads you to having some kind of process for yourself, I mean, has it or, because I know that personally I, I reach a point with true crime that I think my interest is a bit like picking a scab. Yes. I don't know if, sorry to use a really disgusting analogy, but <laughs> no. I think I think it does. I don't think it's sometimes leading anywhere other than, I, I'm not sure actually is, is my view what do you yeah, think yeah I, I feel the same way it's like I mean I totally get it when you use that analogy of picking a scab it's like it's like we're in a way doing the same thing over and over and over but you think one day it something's going to somehow make some kind of sense now I do have to admit when I really I put my soul into the Eileen Warno series that I did and looking up a lot of things not only about her and and her life and what she went through but the statistics and looking up the violence within women and reading up on just a lot of different things that could have went into what she was going through and what what happened you know her case is very interesting to me because what i believe personally is with her it was one of the most unique cases that i had ever done because it was one of the first times i had ever been torn about what she did and the possibilities of why. Just in case anyone listening to this isn't familiar with that, because we haven't actually covered her, could you give us a, a brief outline? Because yeah, it's, it's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. She's fascinating. Yeah. So she did not have a good, you know, growing up at all. She left home when really early. She was always living on the streets. She had a job or two but she didn't keep them long she was basically a prostitute a sex worker her her entire life and that's all she knew and she ended up getting with this other woman named tyra and they when they were living together i think they were in a uh, living in a motel when this happened but eileen also had the emotional and mental capacity of like a 12 year old from what the psychiatrist and everything had had uh, evaluated and you can tell too if you listen to her talk and you watch her you can tell she's not all the way developed in her mind it's very um naive and kind of childlike but at the same time she can make such good points and she's and quite what i remember from her is listening sort of in bits and pieces she sounded also quite aggressive as the wrong word but she she sounded like she'd been feral 
Yeah, yes. As well. It, so it had a weird underlining. Uh, feral is a perfect word for that, for her, because that's truly what she was. It was she was totally on her own, fending for herself, not really knowing how to function in society at all. All mm, she knew. It's very sad. Yeah, for sure. And that, you know, her life was tragic I, I don't think she had a chance in hell i don't she had no mm. one around her it was just her and tyra wasn't the greatest influence on her she was basically the same way and one day eileen left to do her job as usual and she was picked up by this man named richard mallory and from her claims, he allegedly tried to rape her, tied her to the steering wheel, sodomized her, did just the most horrific things to her. And if that really happened, and with her, the way that she talks about it is so passionate and so straightforward, and you can tell she really believes what she says... In that case, I do think something happened that triggered her to believe that her life was in danger and she had to do what she had to do to defend herself because, you know, I, I can't say what I would do in a situation like that. If you feel like your life is in danger and you can't, you know, go against this, this man and he is harming you, you know, I don't know, but she shot him in self-defense, but the thing is, it's like she blacked out and just kept shooting him, and so that was a big deal, because she had shot him so many times, and she had never hurt anybody before. This had never, ever happened before, so it leads me to believe that even if the other killings were not in... I can't say they weren't in self-defense because I don't know, but I feel like she had maybe trauma for sure from that situation, PTSD, and I think that in these other cases of her shooting and killing these men, I don't think that she did it for their money uh, you know, if she wanted to steal something, she would steal it. I mean, she would find a way. And I just think something happened where it triggered a flashback or something. And it just from from what I feel, that that's what happened. Whether it was self-defense to her, for sure. But something, you know, makes me think that it had to be a trigger. Something had to to happen with her in her mind that she thought, okay... I'm in danger and even if she may not have been she thought she was so you know it it's it's fascinating to watch to really watch her and listen to her because her stories never change you know you would think if if it was all a lie or something wasn't true and at some point her story would have a little something off but hers never did and in a way, I believe her 
But there's a part of me that feels really bad about that because I know we're not supposed to empathize, humanize these people. But at the end of the day, I, I, I look at it at every perspective that I can, you know, and I try to humanize these people in some way because this could be your sister your your aunt your mother you know anything it could be a cousin whatever I kind of go into it thinking like okay what if I knew this person I want to figure out did they have mental illnesses was this out of pure hate and aggression like incel behavior you know I just, it all fascinates me, and I always want to get down to the why and the psychology of it, for sure. It comes out in, and I don't know if you've been told this before, but when you're narrating, your narrative is very colourful. It's it's descriptive. Yeah, and I found that it's a very fine line as a journalist you know, not to be able to comment. And that's what I'm doing in podcasting. You know, and Ben as well, you know, he's kind of unleashed now that he can do personal (laughs) a bit too much maybe. But um, your comment was humane, but acceptable. So I think that's about you as a person. And that's what makes me personally want to listen because you would say stuff like, you know, you'd be describing these sort of terrible things. I'm not thinking about anything specific per se, sort of in comments of some kind of violence that you would say, oh, and, you know, listen to this. You know, but yeah. you'd you'd not say it for effect. You'd say it no. because you were running it's like the narrative. That's what I, yeah, that's what I felt in that moment. Like, oh my, like oh my gosh. You know, they did the unthinkable. They did the, you know, the worst thing you could possibly think of. And there's some cases like I'm working on one now, where this family, actually in the UK, have you heard of the Michael Gilbert? A case where the Watt family, this guy was a vulnerable 26-year-old. I believe he was disabled. I haven't gotten the full story of that yet, but this family took him in when he was, um, he was in the, the foster care systems and whatnot, and he, when he was in a child home, he met this guy named Jason Watt, and then he started living with them. They chained him up. They called him their his their slave. They took their mobile phones and recorded a lot of this uh, violence against him. And eventually, they killed him. It and not only did they kill him, but it was this whole family and and the mother or the grandmother. I'm not sure, but she is an older lady. And they severed his head, they dismembered his body, and threw it into the Blue Lagoon. But a lot of his body parts, they hid in walls and in different spaces. And um, the place is, I believe, called Lutton, L-U-T-O-N. Yep, it's, um, yeah, it's not the nicest part of the UK that you could visit. 
Yeah. Yeah. And but I so don't I'm... know of the case. This is fascinating. And yeah, it was it a listener murder. suggestion. Yes. Uh, I had a listener from the UK say that she hadn't really heard it covered a lot. And no, yeah. And I'd never, ever heard of it, which there's so many cases that I haven't heard of. And I try to pick those kind of cases that haven't been overdone. And and if it is a case like the Eileen Warnos case that has been done by so many people, I tried to do it in a different way. And that's what I aspire to do is to try to find a different way to present these stories and, you know, and make sure that I am also in the process highlighting the victims and as much background on the victims as possible. You know, it's, it's sad to me that there are more um, details and background information on the person that, that did these horrible things. And when you look up the victims, it's like two or three sentences about them. And that breaks my heart, which is another reason why I really love to bring survivors onto the show because, you know, it, it makes me feel like, I don't know. I just want to highlight those people so much and you know to not be able to highlight the people that have passed away most of the time it's it's really a struggle for me because I care so much about what happened to them and what they must have been feeling in those last moments or you know I just I just can't imagine and I would love to know what their life was like before that and and leading up to that moment you know and it's so hard to find that kind of information and you know to so to have people like Kathy Kleiner who had survived Ted Bundy I was and, exactly thinking of her I was thinking uh, of you bringing her to my knowledge because I'd heard exactly what you're saying so much about Bundy, really, because yes. he reaches a point and you can classify him because he's just, you know, what he is. Which yes. Is a, but everybody focuses on it. People think the sensation is where the crime is. But actually, in her was so much life. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. That and was, a, she, and actually, I've I've got to appeal to to listeners to listen to that. Do you know roughly when it was that you did oh, that interview? Oh, I don't. I really don't. I'd say it was about. It, it's eight a months. long time. Is it eight months or longer? It, it's probably. Or have I just last listened year. to it in that at that time frame? Maybe I didn't take yeah. a note of the date. But that has to be listened to. If if somebody's going to go and listen to you, they should go and have a look for that interview because it really I was sat up listening to that yeah and what's hilarious about else. that I used to have to go I live out in the country and we did not have wi-fi at the time I had to go to a Wendy's parking lot it was <laughs> raining and I did not have a microphone so the audio on that episode really stinks but <laughs> 
her story is what's most important to me. It put the whole thing in context for me. It gave a whole new aspect to that man and those crimes because you saw it in a in a human aspect. Oh my and gosh. Those, those details that she was describing, that was really, from somebody who comes from a radio background, that was radio gold. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. Something else. Yeah. She, I absolutely love her. I cannot believe these, these survivors that I've yeah. had on the show are, you would think they are the happiest and they might be, mm-hmm. but they come mm-hmm. off so happy. And I think yeah. it comes from being just so grateful to survive yeah. something like that. And you probably look at life in a brand new way. Yes. And coming so, back to a point that I, I made at the beginning of talking to you, what you get from true crime, it's like a, a glimmer of light. Yes. Yeah. But so strong. Yeah. Oh, I well, mean, well done for that. Well done, because I think that's bringing that's bringing something other than this person. You know, this this crazy dude killed yes. these. You know, predominantly I, women. Exactly, and I never plan on covering Ted Bundy. I think you know I, that's what was so special to me for her to come on and tell it from her perspective. Be, and what happened to her was horrendous, and to hear that from her perspective and what she experienced is something that I will cherish that conversation Mm. with her forever. And I feel like I would never, ever, ever have to, uh, to cover Ted Bundy just because of her, you know? Yes. How did it come about? I, this is my thing. I was so new, and I, I still consider myself so new. I, it, it's it's kind of nerve-wracking for me, but I literally will sit down and I will send DMs through Twitter to people and be like, hey, I would love for you to come on the show and tell your story. Sometimes people reply, sometimes they don't. I always expect people not to reply. So when they do, it it's just like, oh my gosh, wow. Like David Thibodeau from Waco, I, I never expected in a million years to talk to him. And he is also, I mean, gosh, I, I can't even pick. Like all the survivors that I have had on my show are just some of my favorite people in the world and I just wish that I could meet them one day and just hug them because I just love them so much well you probably will with your energy the thing that strikes me about you is that you just go for it you do it and I think that that goes a long way it has done and that's why we're sitting here really yeah it's like I was thinking about it and I was like, you have to shoot your shot. You just got to, you've got to grow a pair and just ask them if they, you know, at least, you know, just try. (laughs) We're leaving it there for now, but there's more to come. Ben and I are back next by week. Have a good one. Rate, review and subscribe because we love you.